Welcome to another Ember Weekend. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we had a fun Saturday. Yeah, uh, so we came in like we normally do for, uh, you know, working on Ember Weekend and uh, noticed that Ember Sherpa tweeted about the global meetup. Which I've seen a few, uh, I've seen a few times, a few mentions in in Slack, uh, but I didn't actually know it was this morning. Uh, so we sat in on that, and it was really fun. Yeah, it was a good time. We saw a lot of people we we recognized. Um, Sam Selikov was there. Yeah, Henning Glattergotts, the t-shirt yeah, winner, was there. T-shirt and winner. He's, he's actually a podcast host now. Yeah, he's doing uh, the Reactive podcast. Yeah. Pretty cool. I don't think it's actually about React. No, no, it's it's more it's reactive. They they, they mentioned why they call it reactive, and it was the it has to do with the definition of reactive. I think that it's so that they show up on the first page of the Google search results. For React? <laughs> For React, yeah. No, but it's actually a really, really great podcast. I've listened to a couple episodes. Yeah, check it out. So yeah, the global meetup was a lot of fun. Uh, it was kicked off by a, uh, a quick talk, maybe, maybe 15 minutes, by um, Ben Holmes. And he was talking about E3, which is a D3-style uh, library, graphing library, that uh, he, he built from the ground up in Ember. And it looked really, really neat and very promising. I am really excited to kind of explore it more deeply. But one of the cool parts about it is that uh, you're able to interact with it in a very Embry way. So you can create these kind of dynamic things that really work well with computer properties. So you can bind things together and kind of do uh, some... He, did an, he had an easy like checkbox toggling the different uh, plot data. And, uh, and that was really cool. Ben Holmes also does EmberUp. And that's a website slash news recap thing uh, that is super awesome. It has a bunch of uh, newsy type things in the Ember space. So definitely worth checking out. Yeah, we came across, uh, there was actually a recent uh, post he had about uh, using bindings with uh, what HTML bars helpers. Yeah, this is something that uh, we, we kind of briefly touched on. It's the reason why I have it in our notes. Uh, we recently came up on this uh, when we talked about Ember Select. And we saw Edward Faulkner's example of how to do it. And then uh, Bellant Erdi did a, a more in-depth write-up on it. And in it, he uses the mute helper to uh, kind of like shorthand the... So he uses the action helper and passes mute, which is kind of like shorthand for... Rather than actually sending it to an action and then writing the action, you can just say mute and then pass it to the action handler. And on change or on key down or whatever, you can fire that action. And if you do the mute thing, it'll actually mutate the value like you'd expect, kind of like the old style way, but you could still override it. So it's it's a little bit more versatile. And uh, and Ben Holmes does a really great write-up of this. Um, and then kind of the, the, the inverse of that, so you, you want to set the initial value to be read-only so that you don't end up accidentally kind of like doing a two-way binding. Uh, and there's a read-only helper that basically says, okay, well, set the value to this read-only property and then you know set on change, call this action mute, you know, my field, so user.firstName or whatever the, the field might be. So I thought it was really cool. It's definitely a definitely an article that I would I would take a little bit of time and, and get familiar with because we're going to see a lot more uh, rich interactions inside of the templates rather than having all that logic in the component JavaScript file in the future. I, th- I just see more and more we're going to see like templates that have a lot more expressiveness inside of the template and then, you know, just a few actions inside of the JavaScript file as we kind of start utilizing all this glimmer stuff. Hmm. I really I'm looking at this. I don't I don't really understand why there is a read only on start time and then a mutable on start time. Well, no, so this is this is ostensibly a two-way binding. So you're so you're you're doing you're replicating the same functionality as a two-way binded thing, but you're you're pulling it out into the the kind of the proper way to do it. And the the cool part about it is you have the shorthand for for the mutation helper, 
Uh, so you do an action up, but you're just shorthanding the, the mute. But if you needed to override it to do additional logic or something more complicated or or you wanted to send it to a different place or or you wanted to send a closure action in from the surrounding context, you could do that and just override on change. Hmm. So. so this is basically like you could totally just say value is mutable job start time and you write it the yes. old way. Yes, I believe that is correct. And then you would end up you would end up like with an actual like two-way bound property. Right, but this is um, this is a way to get the effect of the data down being value is read only and then the actions up. So on time change is the action, but now you're instead of having to write the action handler, you're literally just like passing it off to to mutable start time. So it gives you a right. kind of a free action that you don't have to write anywhere. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And it's just it's just the equivalent of saying like action so on on change action update start time. Right. And then inside of that saying this dot set start time, whatever. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah. So I th- I think it's uh it's definitely something to to look at for sure. So the next talk was by Taras and it was um about using uh glimmer for CRUD actions. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Uh we we ended up uh, kind of like a, a lot of a lot of the talk uh, ended up kind of devolving into a, a ton of questions about how adders are going to be implemented and, and how there's a lot of confu- confusion around that. Uh, but we did cover closure actions and, you know, like we ran through like a complete crud cycle of a demo app that he did and uh, and he published the source as well. So it's a really good place to look and see how things are working. And he's using, uh, he's utilizing uh, Ember CLI Mirage quite a bit to give you like a good overview of how you might do crud. Uh, so it's definitely a great resource to see. Uh, I think the the adders stuff. Uh, I, I have a lot of questions now. Um, I've been you know kind of paying attention to this as much as I can, uh, especially when there's adder information on the blog. But there's definitely some some unanswered questions. Um, but it's definitely cool to to see this global meetup kind of come together and allow everyone to kind of start thinking about these problems as a community. I think there was over a hundred people or. I don't remember exactly the final count, but there was quite a few people um, on the meetup. Yeah, it was it was hard to keep track of. Uh, in the beginning, when everybody was still visitor number five or whatever, you could you could kind of see. Um, but once everybody started changing their names, it was hard to keep count. Yeah, and we were using JoinMe, which was actually a pretty cool service uh, written in Angular. Ember meetups in Angular, it's always fun. Yeah. So if somebody wants to write a uh, a video a video chat system in Ember, you know <laughs> that that's needed. Uh, Chase, I'm pretty sure Pierre is a welcome on that one. <laughs> So to speak. Uh, one, but one of the interesting things, um, the, the kind of practices that uh, Taras had was that we using the adders coming into the uh, component. He wasn't using, he wasn't binding directly to like adders dot, you know, say I think title was one of the properties. On did receive adders, uh, he was copying off the adders he needed into a uh, property. Um, and then everything was bound to those. So it was more like attributes were being treated as Kind of this this top level thing that, that comes in kind of from the outside world um gets read off manipulated you know made into computer you know uh, set into the right places and then computed properties are triggered off of those those changes right that seems like a really a really good solution to kind of like how to how to approach the adders scenario i still think that uh, you could piggyback on top of this and uh and add your own adders um to the adders object and then uh, utilize did receive adders in kind of weird ways um, I've, I actually ran into a use case where I needed to do that, and I still haven't figured out exactly how to do it. But I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a fun figuring this out uh, over the next couple couple weeks and months. The, the other thing that using adders this way kind of helps with is that I've, I I kind of didn't like in my templates having to say 
um, like when I was converting over uh, from a from a component to like a Glimmer component, um, I'd have to go in and find all the places where I referenced a property and change it to adders dot that thing. But doing it this way, your 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 templates would all stay the same, and your templates basically never access adders directly, and you would all expose that from the the component. So there's kind of like a separation yeah. of concerns about the adders coming in. Yeah, I think there. I think right now for compatibility uh, in one thirteen, I believe that there's an adders proxy that kind of does that by default. I don't think that's enabled in two um, because um, that's the whole point is that it doesn't have to be backward comp- compatible, but. I think there's an adders proxy now. Yeah, but I, I kind of don't like the idea of having a, uh, an adders proxy. Like, I don't want there to be any any magic happening under the scenes. Like, right. You, you may right. also be doing other things to the properties as they come in. Um, Absolutely, and that, I mean that's the whole reason why we got rid of you know um, object you know, proxy. controller array array proxy and object proxy for controllers. So I mean, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to kind of remove the magic and do these things explicitly. But I think for, for well, I know for compatibility reasons, they they had to you know make sure that. Uh, attributes were still handled the same way they were in all of the rest of the One X. Yeah, it definitely makes upgrading easier. Uh, you don't have to go in and yeah. you know figure out which things are now adders and which things were defined on the on the the component. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there was another cool thing about uh, closure actions that we talked about when doing this crud, and a really cool pattern uh, that I saw him do. Uh, and it was basically he would send the action in through to, to the component, and then um, it, it's just a closure action that calls save or something like that. Uh, and it's an Ajax thing, but if we return the thing from save, and it's a, it's a promise, in this case it was Ajax, like an Ajax call, then inside of the component, so the component basically is saying, okay, well, call save, and then you know that goes up to wherever the save ha- happens, and then it returns the promise so that you can handle errors and, um, and any cleanup work you need to in the component. So say it's a form component, you could say, okay, well, I want the controller or the, or the route to pass the action through, to the component, and then when I call save, I want to call the action on the con- on the context. So the controller will will do the saving, but I want to handle the errors in the component layer. And it's really powerful to be able to say, okay, well, I, I my component handles a click event on submit that says, okay, well, go save, and it goes saves, and then I can say catch dot catch in the component and say catch errors, and I can populate error spans with messages from the server, or I can do all this stuff that kind of makes sense. And, uh, and, and then, you know, or if it's a success thing, I could, I can throw something on the page that says, oh, you've successfully saved. Uh, and I can do all of that logic in the, in the component layer and the saving, all of the complicated stuff can be in either the context uh, of the controller or the route, um, wherever, wherever it fits the best. Uh, I really like that style. I've, I'm just kind of now coming around to seeing why closure actions are so important. And I think this is one of those like shining examples of it. Yeah, and I really like that pattern because we've uh, ran into this case before uh, at Immerjax, uh for the the little demo, the Twitter demo app we did, Cast. Um, there's right. a place where when you're creating a new, uh, what we call Cast, like a new tweet, the you know you don't know whether it's valid, so it's going to some backend. The backend happens to be Mirage, but you know it's going out out of the component, and I believe into I think maybe into the route, but um, but the but it needs to know whether to change its state to basically saying uh, it already created some content, like that it already did something. It needs to know whether that that create was successful. Um, and the only real way I could think of was by creating a promise and passing it as, as a parameter into the create action. So it sends an action called create with the content, but it also sends a kind of like a done promise that will get resolved by the route. 
And that was kind of, I mean, it, it seemed it seemed clever at the time, but now looking back at it, I'm like, well, yeah, it would actually be much better for the route. Um, I couldn't use send action because you don't get a return from it. So I'd have to do it like like this with a closure action. But um, but if the if that action just returned a promise, it's much better than constructing the promise in the create of the component and instead just right. tacking on a then or a you know a catch or something. So I think I'm gonna I'll update this and uh, and use that pattern. It seems really nice. Yeah, I really like the pattern. It's definitely a great example of closure action. So definitely, uh, definitely an, an, an awesome talk uh, and, and worth your time. I believe it was recorded, so it will likely like uh, it'll likely be up on uh, on YouTube or someplace uh, pretty soon. And there's another meetup coming up on the 26th by Grav Munjal. He's going to be talking about uh, Ember Twiddle, I believe, which we've talked about a few times, and it's a very exciting piece of technology. I also see that uh, the Grav seems to be the the main contributor to the Reddit, uh, the Ember Reddit uh, subreddit. I see him posting. He posts, uh, you know, podcasts like ours and you know all this other stuff. Um, definitely some really cool stuff. I'm looking forward to to being in on this one as well. So if you get a chance to be in in the next global uh, Ember meetup, it's on September 26th, and uh, and I think it's going to be a really good one. Next up is Ember Strong Adders, and this is by Yap Labs. Um, I think I saw the uh, the announcement in the in the announcement channel, like like Slack, by uh, Luke Melia, who's been working on um, on this. Uh, and, he, and the idea is to get uh, people looking at it. So we just wanted to bring it up so that maybe you'd have an opportunity to, to kind of take a look at it and see what you think. It's very much in the mode of uh, Rails strong parameters, uh, and it allows you to specify and enforce the inputs to a component. Uh, which is really, really powerful. So say you need a value of first name for this component to work properly. Uh, well, now you can say, okay, this this will blow up in a very specific way if you do not provide a first name. Originally, I didn't think this would be something I would use, but then I started thinking about this in the terms of library authors. And library authors very frequently have components that do a lot of things and can be configured in many different ways. And some things are absolutely required and it's better to give, like this would allow people to know exactly when they have incorrectly uh, configured their included add-on components. So I think there's there's a lot of use here, and I would definitely like to get people's opinion on it and feedback. So if uh, if you get a chance, take a look at the repo and uh, and leave some comments for for Luke and the the App Labs team, and uh, and yeah, take a look at it. So a couple weeks ago, Godfrey Chan and Yehuda Katz had a talk at Ember San Francisco. Uh, about angle bracket components. And I kind of missed a key thing that uh, that later kind of came back to bite me, which is that um, there's now a glimmer component and a component. So if you if you want to use angle bracket components and you want to use a root level element uh, where the basically the, the backend JavaScript file uh, doesn't define the, the actual tag, the root tag, um, you have to inherit from glimmer component. There's a couple of other effects that that has, uh, but the major one is you just have to you have to know you have to do that in order to use the root level element, um, which is great because then you can get away from all the class bindings and style bindings and all that. So yeah, there's still a lot of changes coming to angle bracket components, uh, which is which is why they're not in the builds yet. Um, you still have to use uh, a canary build in order to get this and turn and it's behind a feature flag, um, so it's still a little unstable, but it's a lot of fun to play with. It really cleans up your components and lets you move a lot of the logic into templates. So I'm really hoping it makes it into a build soon. Yeah, logic into your logicless templates. I, I understand it's like configuration of your templates or of, of, of the component in a template. It, it makes sense. Yeah, in the, in the talk, Yehuda gives like um, the best example. So it, it actually starts with um, Yehuda going through what they call the legacy way. Um, and they're like, oh, we have this button and the button needs an action. 
and they're like, oh, of course, I'll just do this. And it's like, oh, well, we have to have a style for it. And then they're like, um, why isn't the style showing up? And it's like, look, our, and, and then Godfrey points out, he's like, oh, because our, design, our designers used a direct descendant selector, so our styles don't work. So now we have to override the tag name. I mean, it's a very good dialogue. It's like a, they're play acting the whole time. Uh, so it's a, yeah. Well, that's exact. I've run into this exact yeah, yeah, situation it's, like many, it's many play times. acting for them, but it's real for me. So, <laughs> but yeah, so they go through and he, you know, he does it the legacy way and then he writes this, a ton of JavaScript to get this effect. And then they show it in the, in a glimmer component, uh, where the, you know, the, the, all that, that button element is defined in the template where HTML should be. And it's so much cleaner. And Yehuda brings up that like, you know, why were we writing so much HTML in JavaScript? Like, so it's a, it's a really good change. Yeah, I definitely want to see want to see this in my app soon, <laughs> sooner rather than later. And that's all we have for this Ember weekend. I'm Chase McCarthy, and I'm Jonathan Jackson, and we'll talk to you next weekend.